That was a roast, and uh, I won't be doing that. But next to me is Dr. Dave Dorst, uh, the other Dr. Dave in our church. And uh, this, I believe, is the third time that you have preached here. Uh, it's always been a privilege. He also lives in Leesburg, uh, another Leesburg, far away. And uh, he has uh, come up. He did our retreat. It was great. And he's coming to share uh, God's word on the subject of gratitude, uh, which is something we kind of take for granted. So please give him your attention and be praying for him as we go through the sermon today. Thanks. I do believe that giving thanks is central to living the Christian life. And I would be an ungrateful wretch if I did not pause to thank this congregation for the amazing blessing that you have been to my family. You have nurtured them, loved them, cared for them, discipled them. All four of my precious grandchildren have come to vibrant faith in Jesus Christ through the ministry of this church, and I thank you. Thank you so much. I've been an ordained minister almost 50 years, and I've seen a lot of people who are happy and not so happy in Christ. The happiest Christians, the happiest people I've known, are people who are the most grateful. And it's really independent of circumstances. My pastoral career got off on a rocky start. I was a youth pastor for 13 years, and my first hospital visit was to a four-year-old boy who had been hit by a car. His, uh, his mom had 13 children, so she took this in stride pretty well. Uh, her older children were in the youth group, and so I was designated to go visit this little boy, Peter Barnes, who'd been hit by a car. I went to Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh, and I saw this little guy. I looked down. There were tubes coming out of everywhere, wires everywhere. His ribs were broken. I mean, it was bad. And Joanna, his mother, said, uh, well, Pastor Dave, would you say a prayer for Peter? And I bowed my head, and the room began to spin, and I fainted. And the next thing I knew, I was in a recovery room, and Joanna was holding my hands, praying for me. <laughs> and I said, is this a revolt, role reversal? What's going on here? Well, the next uh, hospital visit I did was uh, almost as bad my secretary had surgery, and she was describing the surgery, and I said, Barb, could you excuse me a minute? And I ran to the bathroom and threw up. So I knew then that my calling was not to be a pastor of visitation. But my career as a youth pastor that I thought would last forever didn't, and I was called to be senior pastor of a church, Beverly Heights, UP in Pittsburgh. And I knew that hospital visitation was going to be a part of that. And so I prayed, Lord, help me, Jesus. There was a woman who changed my life. And it was a hospital visit. Her name was Arlene Struck. And she had pancreatic cancer. 
And back in the 70s, that was pretty much a death sentence. She was in the last stages. Um, Her kidneys, her liver had shut down. She was very jaundiced. I would go into the room and she'd say, I'm banana yellow today, Pastor Dave. She was the most thankful person I've ever encountered. We would spend almost all the time of the visitation with me listening to her give thanks for her husband Bob and her children and the church and all that Christ had done. She also had Russell Stover chocolate, which was very wonderful in terms of my visiting, and she let me take home half the box uh, for my wife. I never really got there, but I was very thankful for that. At one point, I I wondered, you know, is she in denial? Because all my seminary classes had talked about, you know, people in the... And I said, Arlene, do you realize, you know, that you're dying? She said, Pastor Dave, I realized that a long time ago. I am not naive. I'm no Pollyanna, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. She would quote 2 Timothy 1.12 almost every time that I visited her. I walked away smiling and encouraged from this dying woman. Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 to 17 are some of Paul's most powerful words about giving thanks. I'm going to ask if you would stand as we read God's word. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. The big idea in this passage is this, I believe. Because God has chosen us and loves us, every day should be thanksgiving. Paul tells us that the essence of gratitude is responsive. The essence of Christianity is responsive. God has taken the initiative By choosing us in Christ, setting us apart as his children, and pouring out his love upon us. 
Can you think of anything more wonderful today than that? God loves you with a perfect love. He has chosen you to be his child both now and forever. Christians should be the most grateful people in all the world and best at expressing our gratitude. How do we do that? Well, Paul stresses, I think, that the attitude of gratitude is a product of right relationships and a right perspective. Listen to verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. I believe it is difficult to give thanks when you have a broken relationship. My wife and I live in a place called the Villages, uh, the world's largest golf community. There are estimated to be over 60,000 golf carts in the Villages. Everyone drives everywhere in golf carts. The speed limit, however, for golf carts is 19.8 miles per hour. They're very specific about that. If you go 20, you can be stopped and given a ticket a $350 ticket. They're serious about not speeding in golf carts. $350 ticket, you have to register your cart as a low-speed vehicle and pay insurance like you would for a car. So people don't generally speed. If you rent a cart in the villages, it has what's called a governor. Are you familiar with that? The governor, even if you're going downhill, will not allow you to go more than 20 miles an hour. Lack of forgiveness is like a governor on our emotions. We start to feel good and then we are reminded by Satan often of that broken relationship. A homeless guy that I got to know in Thomasville, Georgia, told me about the difficult life he had had. And yet, he gave thanks. And he said, Pastor Dave, bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to get sick. That stuck with me. I used to do a lot of counseling with depressed people, and I always asked the question, tell me about your relationships. I remember one of the first persons I talked to was a woman who'd lost her mom two years previously, and she told me how when she, is a, she was a child, her mother had disciplined her cruelly, really been unfair. And I asked the key question, have you forgiven your mom? And she gave the right answer. Of course I forgave my mom when I became a Christian. And then she proceeded to tell me how her mother had ruined her life. She had played a game of forgiveness, but she hadn't really done the work of forgiveness. Forgiveness is costly. It required that our Lord Jesus Christ go to the cross for our forgiveness. And therefore, it is precious. When someone hurts us, 
There's nothing that we can do really to eradicate the pain or eliminate the memory. What we can do is choose to forgive. I use this passage from Colossians a lot with weddings. And I always say to these naive young couples who think the other one is the most perfect husband I've ever seen, he is going to hurt you. She is going to sin against you. A great marriage is composed of two great forgivers. Amen. How are we to forgive? Paul tells us right here, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. How has the Lord forgiven you? Does he say, now I'll forgive you this time, but if you do it again, forget it? Does he make us swear that we will never do this again? No, in fact, he knows that we will do it again and again and again. And he forgives us 70 times 7. I want to ask each of us the question this morning, do you have any broken relationships? Is there anyone you have not forgiven? Or is there someone you need to ask forgiveness? Until you forgive or receive forgiveness, your attitude of gratitude will be qualified. Well, Paul tells us that right relationships are more than forgiveness. They are love in action. Above all these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. You Bible scholars know that the word agape that was adopted by Christians for the love of God and for the love of Christians is actively promoting another person's highest good. It's not a feeling. It's a way of behaving. This certainly applies to our close circle, our family, our friends. Are you actively promoting their highest good? But what about the stranger, the acquaintance? Do you thank your waitress or do you treat her like a food delivery machine? The wealthiest person I ever met was an elder at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church named Rich DeVos. You may know that name. He was the CEO of Amway and the owner of the uh, Orlando Magic. Uh, Rich was a Christian, and he began to do a gratitude journal. And it prompted him to look for ways to give thanks. And he decided one morning that he was going to get up early when the guys came to collect the trash. He went out to the bottom of his driveway, and as the guy was going to get the trash, he said, hey, I just want to thank you for the important work you're doing. And the guy sort of ignored him and went about his business. Well, Rich didn't know what to do, but he was undeterred, and he determined the next trash day he was going to go down there and do it again. And so he did it again, and this time the guy put down the trash, and he came over with tears in his eyes, and he said, no one has ever thanked me 
for doing my job before. It was an important moment for Rich as well as for that man. It opened his eyes to the importance of love in action, giving thanks to people that we often take for granted. It's interesting that much of this service has talked about peace, shalom, because Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. That word rule is a Greek word that we could translate officiate. It was the word for a, uh, an official in an athletic contest. Let the peace of Christ be your umpire. Make the calls. Does this contribute to peace? Shalom is harmony with God, within ourselves and with others. As Kirk said earlier in the service, it's not the absence of conflict. Jesus said, my peace I give to you not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not be anxious and afraid. Peace is not the absence of conflict. It's the presence of Christ. I quoted this on the men's retreat, but I'll quote it again. Paul's great statement in Philippians 4, 4-7 is, Have no anxiety about anything. Church, are you anxious this morning about anything? Have no anxiety about anything but in everything. With prayer, by prayer, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is telling us when you have anxious thoughts, Take them to the Lord and leave them with him and thank him in advance. Lord, I know that you are going to do what's the very best in this situation. You know better than I do, and I trust you, and I thank you. The right perspective requires a choice, not to focus on the negative, which is so common in our society, as Kirk said, but instead to find the hand of God even in the most difficult situations. I told this story too. Sorry, guys, but it's a great one, and I'm going to tell it again. Matthew Henry, the famous Bible scholar, was once accosted by thieves and robbed of his wallet. And he wrote in his diary words that he never expected anyone else to see, but they were revealed after he died. He said, let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, although they took my wallet, they didn't take my life. Third, because they took my all, it wasn't that much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed, not I who robbed. In every situation, I believe, we can find something to be thankful for. Carl Menninger, who founded the famous Menninger Clinic in Kansas, a psychiatrist, was asked, what would you recommend if someone felt a nervous breakdown 
was about to happen, what would you tell them to do? He said, I would tell them to sit down and list all the things they have to be thankful for and then find someone worse off than them and do an act of kindness for them. Giving thanks is an antidote to discouragement. I mentioned the book, Thanks a Thousand, that I read recently to the guys on the retreat. This guy, A.J. Jacobs, was drinking his wonderful coffee at Starbucks, and he decided that he wanted to thank everybody who was part of the process of getting that coffee to him. And as he began to research, he found that it was over a thousand people. We can give thanks. Uh, he quotes a study published in Scientific America that claims gratitude can lift depression. Heart patients who keep a gratitude journal recover more quickly than others. Gratitude is the single best predictor of well-being even more than love, hope, and creativity. The conclusion to this article is, happiness doesn't lead to gratitude. Gratitude leads to happiness. Paul concludes this awesome passage with these words. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I think that verse provides a great ethical touchstone for Christians. As I'm considering this action or this decision, can I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him? If not, don't do it. But if you can, do it with the attitude of gratitude. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Would you pray with me? Father God, I can't even begin to thank you for what you have done in our lives. Thank you for taking me from darkness to light, taking each one of us from darkness into light. Thank you, Lord, not only for saving our souls, but that you have surrounded us with brothers and sisters who strengthen our hand in you and love us and encourage us. Lord, help us to be cheerleaders for one another, giving thanks praising, encouraging. May you use this church to be a beacon on a hill, a light in darkness. We ask it in the strong name of Jesus and let God's people say, Amen. Thank you. Now receive the blessing from Jude 24 and 25. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless before his throne with great rejoicing. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power now and forevermore. And let God's people say, Amen. Go in peace.